Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, while you're doing that, I'm going to reminisce a little bit for you. When Elizabeth and I were in training to go overseas, when we were missionaries with Wycliffe Bible Translators, they do a bunch of uh, training courses and classes and material to try and help prepare you for culture shock. Because when you move to other cultures, other parts of the world, they just they, they do things differently. And I'm not just talking about, you know, the Belgians put mayonnaise on their French fries, which I'm sure is in Leviticus somewhere, that you're not supposed to do that. But... Uh, so one of the things they taught us was about where in culture, where, where in your life do you get meaning and purpose? Because cultures pretty much divide on that question. Some cultures like ours, America, the West, we are individualistic cultures. So the individual must decide their own purpose and meaning. It's up to every single person to decide what gives their life purpose, what gives their life meaning, how they should spend their time, what's important. We're an individualistic culture. The other option is what they call communal cultures. It's not the person who decides for themselves. It's the community. Usually that's family, but it can be larger. It can be ethnic group. It can be race. It can be country. Something bigger decides what's important for you. You don't decide for yourself. Most of the world falls into one of those two categories. And as I said, I don't think it's a surprise to anyone that our world, our, our modern American culture is firmly on the individualistic side. I mean, so much so that now, even if you tell, if someone says, oh, you know, I'm going to, if I say to you, I want to be a doctor, and you say to me, Jeff, you're too old and you'd be a terrible doctor, right? Then you've done harm to me because you've denied my internal reality. And in our world, only my decision decides my internal reality. The problem we were taught when we went through this, and there's plenty of problems with communal culture. We can talk about that another time if you want, but we don't live in one of those. The problem with individualistic cultures is individuals are so bad at self-analysis. We are so bad at accurately knowing about ourselves. Think about stuff that you, you believed 10 years ago. Do you believe all of it still today? Are you the same person you were 10 years ago? The things that you thought back when you were young, do you still think them? The things you felt 10 years ago, do you still feel them? I spent my entire childhood planning to be a doctor. Like all my life, everything, I was going to be a doctor. I made decisions on what I studied, where I went to school. I went to college. I was pre-med. Everything in my life, in terms of education and career, pushed towards being a doctor. The thing is, what 50-year-old Jeff knows that 15-year-old Jeff didn't know is that I'd be a terrible doctor. That would have been awful for me, and wow, it would have been even worse for my patients. But as a 15-year-old, I didn't know that. God had to tell me that. We are so bad at knowing ourselves and, and self-analysis. So I, I was doing some research on this, right? Individualistic cultures and how do we do on these things? And you've probably heard the statistics that 75% of Americans say they are above average drivers. That's, now, you know, if, if that isn't working for you, right? Math says average is the middle. So 50% will be above and 50% will be little, will be below. Wow, that's the best statistic I found on us. They did a, there's a famous study done in back in the 70s where they interviewed and surveyed college professors at uh, dozens and dozens of colleges around the country. And they asked the professors, compared to your peers, just compared to the other people who teach at this college, 
are you of, would you say you're of average intelligence, above intelligence, or below intelligence? Again, this is not the population. This is the other professors that you work with, so you know them. 94% said they were of superior intelligence to the average professor. And my personal favorite, a school system recently, and we will protect the guilty by not having names, in their high schools, they had introduced leadership training, and they wanted to see how that was going. So they did a survey of their high school students, lots of questions you know, about different leadership things. One of the questions they asked them was, compared to the other people in your class, to the other people you're taking this class with, would you say you have better leadership skills than the average in your class, about the same or worse? 98% of high school students said they had superior leadership skills to all the other people in their class. We are awful at self-analysis. We are terrible at knowing what is good for us. We are terrible at knowing what is true about us. We are terrible at knowing how we should live. The problem with us finding purpose and meaning is we're so bad at it. And as I'm sure it's not a surprise to you, when we come to the Bible, the Bible does not say thou shalt be an individualistic culture or thou shalt be a communal culture. The Bible says thou shalt listen to the Lord. God will decide for us what gives us meaning and purpose. If you are a follower of Christ, then this is one of the things that he does. If you say Jesus is Lord, then one of the things he's Lord over is you. What gives you purpose? What gives you meaning? how you spend your time, how you spend your days. You don't decide it for yourself, and your community doesn't decide it for you. He decides it. He decides what is going to be important. And that's how Peter is closing out this section. We're, we're finishing up what I'm calling the intro, because up until now, there's been like three commands. I mean, he said, you know, set your hope. And then he's given us a couple examples of what that's going to look like. Wow. Starting in the next verse, I'm going to read 9 and 10 today. Starting in verse 11, it is command after command. Verse 11, abstain. Verse 12, live. Verse 13, submit. Uh, verse 15, 16, live. Verse 17, show respect. Verse uh, 18, submit. Command after command after command after command. He, he is just, he is going to start talking about their situation and what they're going to do. But here in these last couple verses, he's going to close out just like he began. He's just going to tell them truths. He's going to tell them about themselves. He's going to tell them what God thinks of them. He's going to tell them who they are. In the future, it's all going to be, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. But in these couple verses, it's all you are. You are. You are. So read along with me. This is 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm just going to read verses 9 and 10 as we close out this section. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful life, light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter closes us out telling us what's true about us. How many of you have ever memorized this verse? Couple, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's, a, it's a popular one. You are a, a chosen people, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Um, but wow, the things he says are amazing. I want to walk through you, walk with you through these, and I want to help you try and understand what they would have heard. 
Why what he's saying? Because we don't have priesthoods and we don't have royalties and we don't have all, lots of the things he's talking about. But they were so significant in their world. And the first thing he says, we actually do have. Because the Bible I'm reading, the New International Version, translates it a chosen people. If you're reading a little more literal version, like the ESV, the English Standard Version, it says a chosen race. Because it's the word for race. It's the word for your racial identity. In our world, I, had to look, I went and looked at the U.S. Census form. Like, what do they list as race in America? It's Hispanic, white, black, Asian, Native American, Pacific Islander, or other. So those are your options on the U.S. Census form for your race. That all of us check one of those boxes. We all have a racial identity. Again, I don't think this is a spoiler. I am a white guy. Right? When I was in West Africa, I had a friend who lived a couple blocks away. When I would leave our apartment and go and walk to visit him, the little kids, there were kids out on the street, they'd come running and they'd come up to, come run up to me. They'd go, Tubabu, Tubabu. Tubabu means white guy in their language because that's what I am. I was the white guy. So we all have a racial identity. And you got that. You had nothing to do with that. It was just handed to you when you were born. And your parents had nothing to do with it. It was handed to them when they were born. It's just been passed on down to us. But do you hear what Peter says? You, you are a chosen race. When you followed Christ, you got a new racial identity. Now imagine that. I mean, it's not that I'm not white, I'm still white. But I also have a new racial identity that I share with all of you. I mean, I know in our church, there's Hispanic, white, black, and Asian. If you have Native American or Pacific Islander, please let me know, I'll add that to the list. But in this fellowship of Christ, we have those four old racial identities. But all of us, everyone, who names the name of Jesus has a new race. We have the race of being chosen by God. And Peter is talking to a group of Christians who are racially diverse, like we are sitting here, because he's talking to people in the Roman Empire in, the, in modern day Turkey. And most ancient, well, it's true of us today too, although we don't say it. Most people divide the world into us and them. So for the Greeks, there's two races. There's Jews and there's Gentiles, and Gentile is everybody who's not a Jew. For the Greeks, there's two races. There's Greek and there's barbarian, and barbarian's everybody who's not a Greek. For the Romans, there's two races. There's Romans and everybody else. That, that's the way. He, he's speaking to churches that include Jews and non-Jews, Greeks and non-Greeks, Romans and non-Romans, all of these different racial identities are in this church. And he says, remember the user plural, he's talking to them together as a group. You, he says, all of you with your separate racial identities, you have a new race. You have the race of chosen by God. Brothers and sisters, this is why racism in the church of Christ doesn't make any sense. We're all the same race. We're all chosen. That's our race. Yes, you have an old race as well, but we have a new race chosen, chosen by God. And Peter says to these people who would have been Jews and Gentiles, Greeks and barbarians, Romans and non-Romans, says to all of them, you have a new race. 
And wow, that's only the first thing he flips around. The second thing he says is you are a royal priesthood. So he said you have a new racial identity. Anybody remember, if you took history of Europe, remember the three estates? This is a big deal for centuries in Europe. This is how they divided out the world. One estate was the royalty, the nobility, the people who by dint of their birth were in charge. That was one estate. You know, and that's like, right? That's tiny. That's one or 2% of the population. Another estate is the clergy, the religious people. Now again, tiny, tiny fraction of the population. And the third estate is everybody else. You're either royalty, you're religious, or you're everything else. And everywhere in the ancient world, the people who are on top are the royalty and the religious. When you look at ancient Egypt, you look at ancient Greece, you look at ancient Mesopotamia, wherever you want, those two classes of people, the guys with secular power and the guys with religious power, they're on top. And then the other 98% is just everybody else. It doesn't matter what you do or who you are. You're just in the other category. You're royalty, you're religious, you're a priest or a priestess, or you're the rest of, you're the rest of people. <laughs> and Peter says to them, you are a royal priesthood. The two biggies, the two biggies at the top of the social order, Peter says to them, brothers and sisters, that's you. Now, I mean, we don't know exactly who's in this church, but we do know for the first couple hundred years of the church, the rich and powerful were not becoming Christians. That doesn't happen until Christianity becomes the de facto religion of the empire in the 300s. Until then, the people with power and money and status and wealth, they didn't think highly of Christians for the most part. Mostly, Christianity's just everyday, ordinary folk. And Peter says to these everyday, ordinary folk who are in that third category of other, everything else, you are royalty and you are the priesthood. When God looks at you, he doesn't see the other category. He sees a royal priesthood. He sees sees the most important people. In God's eyes, Peter says, you are the most important people. Now, we don't really have this in our world because at least here in America, we don't have royalty and pastors aren't on top. Although I will say October's Pastor Appreciation Month. So, you know, if anybody feels like you need to make that change societally, push pastors up a little higher. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be forced to accept that this month. We don't have this in our world because we're, we're, we're much flatter and egalitarian. But can you imagine how this must have felt to these people who all their lives have just been the others, the rest? Just the, the, the in Greek, it means the hoi polloi, the, the, the commoners, the, the just the, and literally it means the most. Meaning, yeah, you're just, you're just the people, the little people that keep everything moving for the two big groups on top. Peter says, when God looks at you, that's what he sees. He sees you as the most important people. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. Okay, do you see the themes he's hitting? He's hit race, race. he's hit, so he's hit your racial identity, he's hit your societal identity. This word nation, it's the the word 
ethnos. It means your eth- that's where we get our word ethnic. It means your ethnic group. It means your tribe. You are a holy tribe. Now, again, we don't have this in our world. You got to put yourself in their world. The religious people, that, that group of religious people up here, it's an ethnic group. It's hereditary. It's a tribe. If you're Jewish, the tribe of Levi and only the tribe of Levi can minister in the temple. Only people who are from the tribe of Levi can come to God and serve him. Even if you want to come, you can't. And okay, short plug, if you have a Bible reading plan, which I hope you do, because the single best thing you can ever do for your faith is to read the Bible a little every day. I mean, number two is so far down the list. The single best thing you can ever do to grow as a follower of God is just to read a little bit of the Bible every day. There are reading plans on the back if you need one. If you have a Bible reading plan and you're going through the scriptures regularly, then you've read the stories of what happens when people who are not authorized to come before God come before him. The story of of Korah's rebellion in Numbers. When Korah says what we would probably say to Moses, he's like, oh, come on, this whole, you have to be of this family, and you're, oh, that's ridiculous. We're all holy. Everybody's holy. We can all come before God. Anyone can minister before God. And Moses' response is, be my guest. And so they get out what are called censers. They're long poles with a bag. You put some hot charcoal in it, and you put a little incense on it, and you offer incense to God. Several hundred guys go along with this, and they come to the tent where the tent of meeting, where the ark of God is, and they come to offer incense, and they drop dead. They die right there in front of the tent because they're not holy, and they're not of the group. They're not of the ethnic group that is allowed to go into the tent. There's a story of one of the kings, Uzziah, who's a great king. But when he gets into his 50s, he decides he wants to be a priest. He's been a king all his life, became a king when he was very young, like, like six or something. All his life he's been king. And as we so often are wont to do, right, he decides he wants a change. He wants something new. And so he decides he wants to be a priest, but he's not. He's not of the ethnic group He's not a Levite. And he marches into the temple with a censer to offer incense to God. Apparently, he didn't read that story in in Numbers. The priests hear about it. They come rushing in. They're like, oh my gosh, you got to get out of here. You got to get that. They've read the story. You got to get out of here now. And the Bible says, as he was raging at the priests, leprosy started to break out on his body. And when he sees what is happening, like the priests grab him and hurry him out of the room before he dies. They probably save his life while he's raging at them. And for the rest of his life, for 11 more years, because he is leprous, he lives in a separate house outside the palace because you're not allowed to be around people. And his son takes over the day-to-day running of the king, of of being the king of the kingdom because he wasn't of the right ethnic group. And you weren't allowed to go before God if you weren't of that ethnic group. And Peter says to these guys, you, you are the holy ethnic group. You're the holy people. You know, there's this story. It permeates literature all the time. Ordinary average person 
discovers that they're extraordinary. Luke Skywalker, right? Sorry, obligatory science fiction reference. I'm a sci-fi geek. Luke Skywalker from Star Wars, ordinary guy down on the farm in the middle of nowhere in the desert. Turns out he is the greatest warrior that the universe has seen in generations, and he is going to save the galaxy. Anybody remember the Princess Diaries? Ordinary, average high school girl in California discovers that she's actually a princess, and she's the the ruler of some European kingdom. That story permeates literature. This idea that I'm ordinary, but really, secretly, I'm extraordinary. That's what Peter's saying to him. All those stories about people who think they're nothing, and then it turns out they're something incredible. That's you. You are a holy tribe. I mean, I think this is why like 98% of students think that they're above average in leadership, because we desperately want to say, I'm not ordinary. I'm not average. I'm not just like everybody else. By the way, in psychology, that is known as the Lake Wobegon effect. Remember Lake Wobegon, Garrison Keillor? He, what do you always end with in Lake Wobegon? What's true? All the women are strong, all the men are good looking, and all the children are above average. So the Lake Wobegon effect is when everybody thinks they're above average because we desperately want that to be true. But we're not content to think that we're just ordinary and we're just living our life. We desperately want significance. That's why we divide the world. We divide cultures into these two. What gives you significance? Because everybody wants it. We all need it. Peter says to them, you, you are the holy tribe. The people who can come before God, the people who are allowed to go into the temple and be with God face to face when no one else can, that's you. See, he's talked about their racial identity, their social identity, their ethnic identity. Then he says, you are God's special possession. Again, we don't have this in our world, but you got to put yourself in their world. We used to have this. If you want to be like belong to the God, you are so enamored with Apollo. You are so devoted to Apollo that you want to become his. And you're of the right ethnic group and have the right parent, right? All, you, you tick all the other boxes. The way you do that is you renounce everything. You renounce your whole life. You renounce your family. You renounce ever getting married, ever having children, because you're going to be married to the God. You renounce ever having a job. You renounce ever owning anything. You get rid of everything you have. You go to the temple and you spend several years there in training and preparation. And then if you do all that, if you give away every dollar you own, every shred of clothing, every possession, if you renounce everything else for the God, if you go into the God's temple and you train and you work and you pass all the trials and all the tests, then you will be his special possession. You will be possessed. You'll be owned. You will belong to the God in their world. That's how you become the God's special possession. And Peter says to this just group of people in modern-day Turkey, which is pretty much nowhere in the Roman Empire, he says to them, you 
are the true God's special possession. That's incredible. And what did they do to get it? Nothing. They're just Christians. They haven't renounced everything they own. They haven't sold everything they own. They haven't moved to the temple and studied. They haven't done the trials. They haven't had everything. They've done nothing. They're just Christians. You know, C.S. Lewis wrote a book, Mere Christianity, as if it's merely something. They're just Christians. And Peter says to them, you, you are already the God's special possession. Again, what they would have heard is, how? How is that possible? I haven't renounced anything. I'm not the right ethnic group. I haven't had the training. Peter tells just this group, ragtag group of people who are followers of Christ, who are being persecuted. They're not even liked in their society. We'll get to that in the future weeks. It says, you, you are God's special possession already. You don't need to do anything. You don't got to change anything. Nothing else has to happen. You already are God's special possession. And he goes on to say, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. What Peter says isn't that he did this so that you would do it. It's not purpose. It's not that God did this so you would praise him. The way he writes it, God did it in such a way that the only response is praise. What else are you going to do? Because God could have saved them and God could have saved us the way all gods in their world do that. He could have come to them and said, you're in trouble. You and I have a broken relationship. It's your fault. You didn't follow my rules, right? And you're going to pay for that at the end of your life. But if you will renounce everything, sell everything, take a vow of chastity, a vow of poverty, and a vow of silence, if you will go to my temple and study for years, pass the trials and the tests, then, then I will save you. That's the way gods did things in their world. And how? How did God save them? What did they have to do for God to save them in their world? They had to say yes. When Jesus came to them and said, I love you and I want you back, and I have died for you, do you believe that? Will you accept that? All they had to do was say yes. And when they said yes, all of this became true of them. They became part of a new chosen race. They became part of a new ethnic group. They became all of these things that Peter is talking about. They became this, this incredibly high level of society. They became God's special possession simply for saying yes when Jesus came to them and offered it to them. Can you see why Peter writes? And what other response do we have but praise? <laughs> if this is how God has made us, if God's done all this for us, if this is how God has made us his special possession, what else do we do but praise him? Once you were not a people, 
but now you are the people of God. You know, they use the word people like three times in this passage. It's a different word each time. This word people means that third estate, right? You got the, the, the powerful, the, 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 the secularly powerful, the rulers. You've got the religiously powerful, and you got everybody else. This word in, in the language of the Bible, this word is everybody else. It's just a mass. It's just a mass of people. Once you were not a people, Peter's telling them, look, once you were nobodies, and they were, totally. Once you were no one in your culture, you were just part of the great masses that keep the empire running. And now, Peter says, now you belong to God. Now God himself has chosen you, has changed you, has saved you. You used to be nobodies. And now you are extraordinary. Again, I think that dream that we all have. You used, in, in your world, you used to not matter one bit. You were just the crowd. Anybody ever done a play where you get like, you know, you have all the extras and you have the stage direction, right? Murmuring in the crowd. Right? It's just this mass of people that someone says, okay, you guys need to like start, you know, messing around. While the real action's over here. The, the, the leads are over here doing things. You're just a crowd back there for background noise and, and interest. Peter says that used to be you. You used to be just the crowd. Now you are God's crowd. Now you belong to him. And our response is to praise him. Peter ends this section just the same way he began, just telling him some truths about themselves. But wow, if you lived in this time and you heard these things, I think you would be blown away. That God has done all this for us. And we didn't slay a dragon. And we made no promises to give millions of dollars. We didn't go out and do some great feat of strength. We didn't sign up for anything. We just said yes. If you are a follower of Christ, everything Peter said about them is true of you as well. You have this new racial heritage, this new racial identity. You have a new ethnic identity. Again, you didn't lose your old ones, but you've added something new, something glorious and wonderful. You have a new position in society when God looks at you. You're, you're God's special possession. All this is true of you. If you are not a Christian, then it's true of you the same way it's true of us, the same way it was true of them, the same way it's true of everyone since Jesus died and rose again. You just say yes. Jesus offers to you that he wants you back, that, that your relationship is broken, and he wants to heal it. And he has done everything that it takes. These gods said, you renounce everything. Our God says, I will renounce everything. The gods that they used to worship say, you come and serve me and do all these things for me and maybe I'll help you. And the God of the Bible comes and serves people and gives up his very life. And then, then he says to people, now come, come with me, follow me. If you're not a follower of Christ, you can become one 
The same way they did and the same way the rest of us who already follow him did. You just say yes. Yes, Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. I want all this to be true about me. And when you say that, it is. Because it's him who does it, not you. It's not you must become these things. It's you are these things. He has done it. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for these truths to work themselves into your hearts. Because again, wow, from here on out, you got work to do. There's things we are going to have to do after this. But this, this is something that we are. And it is so important to Peter that we know this. Before we get into any of the, look, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to live. This is how you need to act. This is who you need to talk to. Before we get into any of this, you need to know who you are. You need to know what God has done for you. So let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you that you did all this. You did all this 2,000 years ago. And we know the truth of what Scripture says, that while we were your enemies, you loved us. While we hated you, you died for us. Thank you. We're so grateful, Lord. We're so grateful that you have made these things true of us. Help us to remember them. You know how fickle we are. You know how easy it is for us to forget. I will walk out of here and not remember these things. Jesus, help us. Help us to remember who we are. That in your eyes, we are extraordinary. We are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are your special possession, and you did that. We didn't do that. We didn't go out and fulfill all the requirements to become your possession. You made us yours. We didn't have to renounce anything, and you renounced your life. Thank you. We're so grateful. Oh, we're so, so grateful, Lord. We pray that you, Holy Spirit, you would help us to remember. And we pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen.